uh, we're going to go into a series. Uh, this, it's super important to me that we as a church don't ever go like, hey, we're going to talk about this for seven weeks and then not talk about it again. We're going to talk about this for six weeks. It su feels super disorienting. I would say uh, this series has been percolating in my head for 56 years. I think this is the story of my life. I think um, I, I, I have this phrase I say a lot. Younger Dale, which could, be, could have been last week. <laughs> We're going to talk about transforming, transformation, how people change. Is it possible? Well, let me start with this. There was a series of tests, uh, surveys, um, challenges, uh, studies, if you will, where they brought in a bunch of college students and they told them the study was um, around what they called food perception. So they told them to come in hungry. So being college students, I'm sure they were paid to come to this thing, and they're told it's about food perception, so they're also like, we're going to get some free food as well. So these students came in, and this was the case study that they had uh, set up. So they said, we're going to send you into this room, and there's going to be a bowl of chocolate chip cookies that were just made, so the whole room smelled like chocolate chip cookies, and there's going to be another bowl of radishes. And the reason we're doing this is because they have distinct tastes, and tomorrow we'll bring you back and see what you remember about the taste. That's what they set them up to do. So they told the, half the college students, you can eat two to three chocolate chip cookies, just ignore the radishes. And the other half, they said, you get to ignore the chocolate chip cookies, and you only get to eat the radishes, but you have to do it. So they go through this, and because college students are always looking maybe for a little bit of money, they all followed the rules. There was a group that just ate two or three cookies, and they're like, oh, those are good cookies. And then there were those who just ate the radishes. That is incredible willpower at work, is it not? The room smells like chocolate chip cookies. It smells fresh baked, and yet you're offered radishes. You may love radishes, but if you think radishes taste better than chocolate chip cookies, I'll see you after. Then the uh, next group of researchers came in, and they said, okay, now we're going to do something different. We're going to compare college students to high school students, and who, we, who, who can solve these problems? They weren't really going to bring in high school kids, but they were trying to puff up the college kids. The college kids are like, ah, high school kids, I'm smarter than they are. So what they did next, after they had eaten the food, they gave him these uh, geometric shapes and said, you must trace these now without ever lifting your pencil or crossing the lines. You ever seen that before? You have to figure out how to do this. But the thing is, they gave them impossible shapes to trace. It was impossible to do what they asked them to do. What they discovered afterwards is that those who ate the chocolate chip cookies and an average spent over 19 minutes, each person, making up to 34 attentional attempts to, get, to do something that was impossible to solve. But those who ate the radishes gave up only after eight minutes, and they only managed nine solutions. Why? Some of you are like, you see, I knew I should have eaten more cookies. <laughs> what they discovered was the willpower or the self-control that they exerted in resisting the cookies is an exhaustible resource. 
meaning. They had spent so much of their resource saying, I will not do this, that it actually took away from their ability to give extra time to solving this problem in their life. And to those who did not have to exert willpower or self-control, they just were able to eat the cookies, actually gave it more time. There was another one real quick in another study. People were asked to restrain their emotions while watching a really sad movie about sick animals. Like, contain yourself. Afterwards, though, those who showed, they showed less physical endurance than those who just let their emotions flow freely. Why? Because willpower in itself, self-control in itself, are exhaustible resources. And yet those are the things that we so often use in, in being strong, as we say, in being devoted, as we say taking on the difficult things in life. So, it serves us well to be aware of that spot where self-control is exhausted. Our emotions are spent, and we have lost sight of the path. Because it's in this spot where moral failure creeps in. Maybe it begins in private, but eventually it goes public. The good news is that Jesus says there is a path and it's not built on self-control nor the emotions you're trying to hold together. Its clarity is on me, literally fixing your eyes on me because I am the way, the truth, and the life. Over the next seven weeks, I'm going to grab some things that I have been teaching on the past year and a half and will continue to teach on as we move forward around change, more specifically about transformation. How do people transform? We're going to provide resources for you every single week within your small groups. If you're not in a small group, like Danny mentioned, please come on Tuesday nights. We're having one at 7 p.m. in the Connect room right over there. You're invited to join, to be a part of this conversation. Let me start, though, by reading from 2 Peter chapter 1. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Let's pray. Father, we sit before you today as your children, created in your image. Scripture tell us you, tells us that you knew us before we were even born. You know every day of our life, and you love us. You gave us the Spirit, your Spirit, to transform us, to change us into your likeness. Father, I pray you give us the courage to move forward even today. In your name, amen. Some time ago, I started to wonder. I honestly wonder, how do people change? It's changing just for a younger person. Like if you come to know Jesus as a young person and you're like, I've known him for a while, and I guess this is just, I am who I am. Or is God calling us to constantly transform into his likeness for all the years of our life? 
What I will tell you as your pastor, as your friend, who is now 56 years old, I had a significant thing unlocked in me about four weeks ago. This is something that I wished I had unlocked a long time ago. And you're like, how does that happen? You've been a follower of Jesus for so long. Yes, in transformation and sanctification is an ongoing process. You may be counting on me to already be an expert in these things. Like, how do I change and how do I transform? I'm like, this is bigger than just to put into a mechanism or just into a formula. But the church or the leader that is lost in this seems not to be shepherding well. So I want to press in. Most likely, we all want to change something about our lives, right? It could be small, it could be big, but you feel stuck. Have you ever felt stuck? You've tried to change, but it hasn't worked. Why? Some of us desperately want internal change. We want to change. We want life to be different. We long for more, but honestly, we get tired. We get exhausted. Whether physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, or all of the above, change is hard, and trying to change is draining. And then we add to this exhaustion, this sense, sense of shame when we just settle for less, and the enemy just laughs and says, I told you you couldn't do it. When I hear the changes of people that, that people want to make, it kind of, they wish their life was different. It often starts with like, well, I'm going to. Have you been there? Like, I'm going to do this differently from this point. Say things like, I'm going to grow in my contentment. I want to start feeling closer to God. I want to breathe new life into my marriage. I want to get out of debt. I'm going to start being consistent in my Bible reading. I want to escape this toxic relationship. Then there are others who just say, no, change, I just want to stop doing something. That's it. I'm done with it, we say to ourselves. I want to stop stressing out all the time. I want to stop showing frustration. I want to stop being impatient. I want to stop being late. I want to stop drinking too much. I want to stop procrastinating. That's a funny one, right? I'm going to stop procrastinating, but I'm having a hard time. I, I, I want to stop thinking negatively. I want to stop spending so much on Amazon. I should not know the delivery person by his first name. And for sure, I've seen some make amazing, drastic changes in their life, at least outwardly. So I'm assuming that there's some real inner transformation as well. And that's also just be honest. And this isn't shame. This isn't wait. This is just even in my own life at times. I've been quite perplexed by the amount of people who've been around that would say, we are the things of God, church and the Bible. And they continue to participate and be ravaged by the collateral damage of sin. Scripture calls this choosing to walk in the world of the flesh and not in the ways of the spirit. For many, this working um, theory of change consists of, well, I'm going to believe the gospel, the gospel presentation at least, and then I'm going to go to church. And that, that, that'll change me. Now, don't get me wrong. I love the gospel. I love that by God's grace, he transfers us from the domain of darkness into the, 
the domain of death and into life. That his grace and mercy is a gift from him. And this beautiful thing happens in our identity through the gospel. When we die to our sins and become alive with him, we see these in scripture all over the place. Let me just share a couple of them with you. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That is a beautiful union with Jesus, is it not? The logic of all these New Testament letters literally will say, like, the only way this isn't true is if Jesus goes back to the grave and stays there. Like, that's how secure this one is. Here's another one. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. This one's really significant. In the original Greek, which this was originally written in, there's actually no verb in this. It literally means, reads, if anyone is in Christ, new creation. If anyone is in Christ, boom, new creation. The change in identity is real. But is it realized? We can leave here apparently motivated. Man, I'm indifferent for, but are we realizing it? in our life. You can do and you often do what you do because of what you think about you. So what are you thinking about you? The truth of you. You know those, uh, have you ever been on one of those ropes courses? They, uh, somebody had this crazy idea where they put like cables and trees 40 feet up and they're like, this will be fun. Walk around on these cables and show how brave you are. So I'd bring youth up to Hume Lake and all these teenagers are like jumping from this and that. And it's obvious because they don't know if you, how much you could hurt yourself. You know, here I am up there going, uh, whatever. And so they strap you in like this girdle kind of thing, you know. And then they have these ropes with clips and you're clipped to this wire. And you're walking along and uh, there's this moment though. You see, believing your identity is real and not having it realized means you haven't, it hasn't been embodied in you. There's this point in a lot of ropes courses where though you have these ropes and you're clicked into this cable, you don't really believe in those ropes yet. If you did, you'd be a lot more confident. At least I would be. I'm like shaking and this and that. But then there's this point where they're like, just jump. And you're like, you're an idiot. No, you're strapped in, Dale. These ropes are there. Jump. And I'm like, no. But then you do, and you just swing out, and you swing back, and you're like, that was no big deal. But it was at that moment where those ropes, what they do for you is embodied. You're like, oh, I get it now. It is one thing to believe with all of your mind that your identity has changed. But the battle is whether it's realized or not. Whether it has made its way into the deepest parts of who you are. God desperately wants us to be like his son. Meaning this. Make what is now real about you 
realized. They're like, oh. So as you consider some of the messes in your life right now, consider who you are. Consider whose you are. Consider that Christ's resurrection is the guarantee that you too will be raised up one day. Consider that you've already been raised spiritually. Does that start to do something different with the messes that are in front of you? It's kind of like if you tragically were orphaned as a kid. And you spent time um, in a place without parents and then you had very little. And then parents bring you in and they adopt you. And they have cupboards and refrigerators full of food and yet you kept running outside and begging for food when you have so much available to you. Your identity is real but you haven't realized it yet. Let's go back to 1 Peter and read a little bit more. Peter, who drastically changed in his life, writes this. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. And to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Peter is not making a comparison of people who knew things. In fact, he's saying, you have been forgiven, but you're blind if you don't add to these. Now, for some of you, maybe many of you, some alarm bells are ringing. You're like, wait, 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 is this like works? This works-based salvation, if I'm good enough, God's going to like me. No, it is not that. Some of you are like, is it going to get God's approval only if I do these things? No, it is not that. What is it? If it is true, as Romans tells us, that the same spirit that rose Christ from the dead is now living in you, what do you think he wants to do? Like, Think about that. I mean, literally think about that. Jesus Christ died, and the spirit that rose him from the dead is now promised to you. He's in you. Is he like, hey, let's just hang out for a while, and let's just dibble-dabble with this sin. It's no big deal. Or do you think he's like, let's grow. Let's transform. Let's be to people who God is. What do you think he's asking you to do? Really what Peter's doing here, which is so common in New Testament writing, is they would just kind of stack a bunch of things. Because it wasn't like you just go to the library and find Paul's uh, letters. So they would read them out loud and as a teaching tool would do these things where they would stack them to help memorize them a little bit more. It's the same way he did 
Here are the fruit of the spirits. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering. He would stack these things. Same thing Paul wrote to Timothy. The, a godly man is uh, righteous and, and faith and is loving. It's just kind of these ladder of virtues for us to remember and focus on. But what I've also come to believe and realize and know is that the enemy does the same thing. He stacks all sorts of lies at you. So as Paul's stacking truth, the enemy stacks lies. If you don't know much about the Apostle Paul, Paul went from being a persecutor to a pastor overnight. Some of you might think, as a pastor, I'm a persecutor, but that's kind of my own journey, all right? Paul went from persecuting believers to becoming a pastor, being one of the most significant people. Like he was healing people and preaching and planning churches. He'd be the kind of guy, like he's got it all together. He's figured it all out. And yet that guy who had it all figured out writes this in his letter to the Romans. And this is in a version that's a little easier to understand. I don't really understand myself, he writes. For I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I am doing is wrong, this shows that I agree, to, I agree that the law is good. So I'm not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me. That is my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do, this is, man, he is, he is that out there. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. I've discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. Sounds like a five-year-old, Maybe. I love God's law with all my heart, but there's another power within me that is at war in my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. Some of you are like, what is that even about? So I have an updated version from author of Restore named Vince Antonucci. Taking the same idea, writes this. I don't really understand myself. But I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. I tell myself not to yell at my kids. Then I hear someone yelling at my kids, and I realize it's me. There's something wrong inside of me that leads me to do what I don't want to do. I tell myself, whatever happens, I will not deviate from my diet. I promise I will not make any exceptions. And then I find a piece of pizza in my mouth. What a miserable person I am. I am a slave to pizza. Because I try to understand this power that makes me a slave to sin, I suddenly have a realization. I am now eating brownies. I am a slave to pizza and brownies. I have discovered this principle of my life. That when I want to do right, there's always something wrong for me to look at on the internet. I don't want to look, but there's something in me that does it anyways. When I'm about to tell my wife that she's just like her mother, 
I know, ooh, see, that one hit. I know what I am about to do is wrong. That's why I decide not to tell my wife she's just like her mother. Then I find my mouth opening and the words coming out, and I hear those words. They sound like you are just like your mother. It is sin living inside of me that does this. Who will free me from this life dominated by the dumb things I keep doing? One thing me knows for sure, it's not going to be me. Because self-control and willpower is an exhaustible resource. And the enemy wants to tell you to quit, to stop. But what if we had a plan of attack? What if we decided enough is enough? You see, Paul's suggestion here is not to just try harder, but to train. He writes this. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? So run in such a way to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. Training for some of us feels like, oh, what is this? These rules is like, it's reality. In his book, uh, Spirit of the Disciplines, Dallas Willard, Willard writes about this golden triangle of transformation, some ideas around it. And, as I looked at this, and some of my friends who have, I've been working with on this for a few years now, I want to propose to you kind of a similar but different triangle and proposing a theory of how people transform. And it's from this that our next seven weeks are based off of. The idea is this. Transformation comes with the Holy Spirit at the very center of our lives. The three elements that are included in this transformation process is truth, is community, and its practices. As you look around the triangle, you'll see a few different things. You'll see truth. Truth that comes to us from Jesus. Jesus is truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life, he says. No one comes to the Father all except through me. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Jesus is the embodied and professed truth, and it is through truth. But sometimes we just know the truth, but it doesn't sink in. Because our lives don't start looking like the truth. There's something powerful about truth, is there not? What does truth do? It exposes the lies. It opposes the lies. It's hard to break off old lies, isn't it? They're deeply embedded. They can become like mental maps of how we process things. That's what was true of my life. 
It was a mental map of how I processed some things until I got freed from it by standing up to the lie. We assume ill intent and we question purposes because many will profess the truth but will not embody it. As Jesus tragically said, many will say, Lord, Lord, and he says, I never knew you. It's one thing to say it. It's another thing to have it permeated. There's another area of this triangle that we call practices. This is a way of introducing truth deep into your bones. These are practicing the things of Jesus, not to get his attention. We already have it. It's simply to say, I want to do the things that Jesus did. Things like Sabbath rest, generosity, fasting, scripture meditation. The idea is this, is working the truth of who God says we are into deep into our bones. We'll be talking about those things. This series, we're going to be using this triangle as a guide, as a piece, as steps along the way. We're going to talk around community next week, not in a way that you assume. Community is not, I go to church. We're going to take a couple weeks on the Holy Spirit. He deserves a lot more than a couple of weeks. Some of you are like, when I say, hey, we're going to talk about what life in the spirit means. Some of you have these internal alarms. You're like, oh, no, 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 no. We're not going to do that, are we? Whatever that is. And some of you are hoping I go so far down this path. It's probably going to be somewhere in the middle, just so you know. Let me give you a hint. I believe the spirit of God is alive and well and active. There's no way, like I said before, you can applaud or not applaud. The same spirit that rose Christ from the dead is inside of you and he just wants you to be stoic. There's no way. It doesn't mean you have to lose your mind. It doesn't mean it has to be theatrical. But there is no way God is in you and goes, you just be you. We'll get there. For today, quickly, I want to propose this to you. To try is to attempt to do the right thing by exerting effort in the moment. But to train is to commit to implementing strategic habits from a vision of what is possible. What has God told you? This is what's possible. Scripture tells you this is what's possible for you. When I first came back to this church for the third time, which is a whole other story. Come to the Connect Gathering and I will not tell you that story as well. But one of the first series that we did was on renewal. This is what it was based off of. Renewal is the refreshment, release, and advancement that individuals, groups, churches, and cultures experience when they're aligned with God's presence. It's a resumption of our God-given purpose to partner with God fully, participating in his plan to flood the world with his presence. And so many of us may be gathered and you're like, oh, this is cute. Dale's talking about renewal. But it was very intentional, methodical that I'm going to get to this point today as well. Because renewal isn't just we feel better. It's a transformation of all of us. But renewal is hard because it takes intentional work. Renewal takes letting go of things. 
Renewal, it says, pursuing something that we don't even see yet, but we hope for. So what are you hoping for? If you ask God, tell me something, give me something. What can I hope for? What do you hope for for your marriage? What do you hope for for your life? What do you hope for for this church? What do you hope for if the spirit of the living God came and said, let's do this? What would that look like? It starts by just making an intentional decision. I am not doing that anymore. I'm going this way with Jesus. Will you help me? I've been a part of a few of these, but it's a lot like a married couple who's been married for a while and says, let's renew our vows. Sometimes this is after 10 years, 20 years. I've been a part of renewals after 50 years of marriage. They just stop and go, we have our eyes wide open. We know what marriage is. I know all your faults. You know mine. Eyes wide open. Does this mean that all the years you had before didn't count? No. Does this mean you feel like disrespected or like, man, I feel offended. Why would you want to renew our vows? Like, I've done all these things for you. It's not that. It's simply saying, let's just stop, look at each other, and go, I'm still in. Let's be honest. As we try to renew this church, there's been some who said, you don't appreciate all the years I gave. I do. But renewal says, stop, take a breath, I'm still in. A renewal of vows, a renewal of purpose. It happens in your marriage. It happens in your life. It happens in who you are with God. Because willpower or self-control alone is a source of our, as a source of our courage or confidence, we get exhausted, we get frustrated, we get shamed. Because the enemy does repetitive stacking lies against us. As I close, let me just read this to you from Paul once again. Think about this through the lens of our church. Think about this through the lens of your own life, of your own walk with God. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. When we renew our mind, we then see. He invites us to be transformed. Why? To oppose the repetitive lives you have believed for so long. And he wants you to realize your real identity to him. Let's just take a few moments and sit before God. Some ask, why do I do this? I believe the spirit is alive and working. It's not a theatrical thing. It's just he wants to work. And so he takes these moments, maybe even now, and he says, he's reminding you of scripture. Sometimes he just clarifies what I've messed up. To some of you, he wants to comfort you. To some of you, he wants to convict you. 
Some of you, he wants to breathe new life into you. Where the enemy says there's shame, he says there's grace. Where the enemy says there is no way, he says there's always been the way. When the enemy says to quit, the Spirit says, go with me. Father, I thank you. Spirit, I thank you for not allowing me to be who I drift to be. But you have drawn me into a renewing of my mind, of transforming my heart and soul and mind. You didn't just let me continue on a path that had no life. For my friends and family right now, I pray that they would know the height and depth and width of your love for them. That their lives, no matter how many years they've lived them, you have something new and fresh.